Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2022, the Masters Picks. Research, first look, and in-depth breakdown. Masters Week is officially here, which means I got some stuff to give away to all of you. We're going to be doing our walkthrough on FantasyNational.com in a little bit. FantasyNational.com slash Mayo to get yourself 20% off. The Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Listeners League is now open. Hit the description. Get your three entries. There's only 5,000 spots. $75,000 of rake-free guaranteed money. This is going to fill very quickly, so go reserve your spot right now. Sub to the newsletter, but the big thing beyond smashing the like button to the video, subbing to Mayo Media Network, and leaving your winner down in the comment section is... I got master swag to give away. I'm going to be drawing three of you out there over the course of the shows this week. And all you have to do is subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast on Apple Podcasts. You leave that five-star review, make up something nice about this show, leave your Twitter handle or email address, and you'll be able to find in-depth pictures of this in the newsletter, which you can also subscribe to every day during the Masters down in the comment section. But I got I got a Masters hat for you. There we go. What else do we got? We got, we got some visors if you're a little old lady or you're... 1998 Pat Mayo. You can rock a visor. How about a nice black polo? We'll have the sizes and everything. You've seen me wear the sweater. Well, I have a brand new one right up here. All from the Master Store. All you need to do. Apple Podcasts. Five-star review. You can find that down in the description. Even if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you go log in and leave that quick review. Take you less than 30 seconds and boom, you're in that draw. You can get in the same draw for a one-and-done ticket to Masters season. You go to fantasygolfchampionships.com, play in the brand new one-and-done from Masters to the Open Championship, $100 to play, 10k for first prize. We got a lot of great stuff coming for you this week and Today's no exception, Justin Ray from the 21st Group, contributor to TheAthletic.com, PGATour.com. He is here to break down Augusta National, which players that we should be looking for here. Did Hideki break everything that we were supposed to look at in terms of trends from last year, Justin? Yeah, he was kind of an aberration, right? He came into the Masters last year. He hadn't won in, what was it, over a year. Uh, He hadn't had a top 10 finish all year going into the Masters last year and he basically yeah he broke all the trends now we know to look for really strong approach players and that's what Hideki Matsuyama's calling card is but other than that yeah the form verse kind of course fit kind of a way we could try to balance guys out going into the Masters Hideki did break the mold a little bit because you look at the players before that you know Tiger was on an ascent in 2019 when he won Um, Sergio Garcia had won Dubai and people knocked Danny Willett as a Masters winner but he was 12th in the world and he had won Dubai earlier that year too. So yeah, in terms of having that kind of ascent we like to see for players we like going into the Masters, Hideki kind of broke the mold last year. Even someone like Patrick Reed had two top 10 finishes in his two previous starts, discounting the match play in his full stroke events coming in in 2018 in the year that he won as well. Are there particular players, you mentioned approach play, but that's every week. If you're not going to be near the tops in approach, you're probably not going to win. Like there are slight... 
there's complete outliers every single year who gain you know, 12 strokes putting and they can break that mold. Generally speaking, that's not going to happen at Augusta National. And the biggest thing that we usually talk about is recent form versus course history. And generally, I am always on team recent form because course history is not sticky by and large outside of like weird aberrations over time. But as a whole, it doesn't really work out that way. However, my numbers suggest that this is the tournament every year where course had course history matters the most. Why do you think that is? There's some certain traits about Augusta National. By the way, I do agree. I think that usually week in, week out, course history, unless the course is particularly quirky, like let's say Colonial, which is the short one of the shortest courses on tour. If it's something that sticks out, it's a little bit of an aberration. Yes, you could probably look at it a little bit more. Augusta National has some really distinct traits, one of them being that missing off the tee is not particularly penalizing at all. Uh, the missed fairway penalty year in, year out is the lowest of any PGA Tour venue all season long. So you can have, you know, some of our uh, favorite players throughout the years over the last 20 years in this championship, whether it's Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Jordan Spieth, none of those guys are particularly straight off the tee. And they've had immense success at Augusta National. So I think that's one reason why. The other is it's a little less empirical and a little more kind of colloquial, and that's the, you know, nuances and kind of mythology behind the greens of Augusta National, right? Got to know where to miss it. Things that are kind of, you know, gained over time and experience where you can know where you can make mistakes, where to leave putts, uh, where to leave approach shots, which pins you can go after, which ones you can't. And I think there's a little bit of that Look, we operate in numbers and statistics and, and predictive things week in and week out. And we can't quite quantify that at Augusta National, but I do think your point about, you know, course history sticking out a little bit more here um, maybe speaks to that some. And it's funny because even going back and looking at the trends, obviously Hideki bucked a bunch of those a year ago. Patrick Reed actually bucked the making the cut the year before trend of the winner because he had missed the cut in 2017 then ended up winning in 2018. He's been kind of on a roll at the Masters ever since, despite not playing his best golf, although he's been playing nowhere nearly as poor as he is at the moment. Even 12 months ago, he wasn't playing this badly. So taking course history with a grain of salt is one thing. I mean, yeah, Bernhard Langer's won 12. Probably don't want to pick Bernhard Langer this week. Even in your DraftKings, right? Yeah. And, and I'll touch on this a little bit later on. That even when these guys make the cut, whether it be Couples or Langer, even like the T18 that Fred Couples had five years ago, I think in terms of DraftKings scoring, I think he ended up like 34th or something like that. So you really have to wait that that just getting these guys through the cut line at the Masters doesn't necessarily do you all that much. You want guys who are bombing it, who can make eagles and rack up the birdies on the easy par fives that way so what's the prototype of the player that we want i think on paper dustin johnson at his peak is the essential player at augusta long straight still great with his irons has the short game figure that out over the years and can putt we saw that in that november masters and he absolutely demolished the field i would say that rom is probably the closest player to that right now but he hasn't been having the same sort of consistency especially on the greens that we would want to see coming in to be that good in all four facets of the game. Then you have your Speeths of the world. So even someone like Christian Bezadenhout, who's sort of like the, um, the homeless man Speeth, can kind of get things done on and around the greens. Like, what would you say, besides approach, what type of player would you think you would want to back? Well, I will say about Speeth, no player has had more strokes gained approach at the Masters since 2015 than Jordan has. I know that when we watch him, we're enamored with his ability to get up and down from everywhere. You call it the magic beans stroke game. I love that term. 
Um, but in reality, his approach play has been better than anybody since we have the advanced tracking available since the start of 2015. To your point, you're able to, you know, we talk about approach play being significant, right? Like five of the, la- of the last seven winners, five of them ranked in the top five that week in strokes gained approach. But in reality, it's not that different than week to week on the PGA Tour, as you mentioned earlier. The percentage of strokes gained by winners at the Masters since 2015, about 36% is with approach play. The PGA Tour average is only about a half a percent lower than that. Patrick Reed in 2018 is a great example of a guy who you can of who gained gained strokes in different ways that weren't particularly the traditional just off the tee and approach. He was unbelievable on and around the greens and was able to make up the difference um, in his approach play and off the tee. So you mentioned Dustin Johnson and kind of peak form being the prototype. That's kind of the prototype everywhere, right? And John Rahm kind of fits that mold. Now, no player has a better score to par over the last four years at the Masters than Rahm does. Four consecutive top 10 finishes, the only player to lay that claim here over the last four years at the Masters. Um, I lean that direction. I know he's had some putting issues over the last several weeks. Um, I think that maybe, you know, that's something that's going to fluctuate week to week. And you, you and your, your viewers know that, um, you know, you're, you're savvy enough to know that strokes gain putting is a little bit more fluctuating than ball striking. Um, I, I really don't see a situation where he's not contending next week. I'm really interested in Corey Connors. Corey Connors has some really great metrics uh, ball striking wise at the masters the last several years, he's second in strokes gained ball striking per round at the masters the last four years, trailing only Dustin Johnson. Um, I don't necessarily like him to win the championship, but I think you can get some value on him as a DraftKings player, uh, kind of filling out your roster and get you some points and make some birdies. Another guy who we haven't talked about a lot, hasn't gotten the winner's circle in a long time on the PGA Tour, it's the Olympic gold medalist, Xander Shoffley. 64 birdies or better the last three years of the Masters. That's more than any other player. He's a guy who doesn't have any particular weakness. He nearly won the Masters last year, almost chased Hideki down before he kind of fell apart the last couple of holes. So um, a lot of interesting names on the board, a lot of different ways you can get it done, but those are some of the guys that I'm highlighting. Rom, and when I get to it a little bit later on in the actual research, Xander was the name that kind of popped up, that he's becoming this forgotten man. And even if you look at what he's done recently, the ball striking has still been fine. He's just been losing a ton of strokes. And not even a ton of strokes, but he's just not putting up to snuff of what you would think. And he seems to be able to roll it, especially on fast fast greens and fast bent grass greens really, really well over the course of his career. And you can always search this stuff on Fantasy National. Not for the Masters, because they like to hold those uh, numbers a little bit close to the vest, don't they, Dustin? Or just Justin? Yes, yes. Not, not as uh, free with the information. Uh, yeah. Traditional or new age. <laughs> uh, do, do you, uh, you mentioned the guys that were ranking inside the top five in terms of approach. And it's funny because like week of, you can find this on masters.org. You can find the approach numbers and everything like that. It's just finding them after the fact tends to be pretty difficult. So you can kind of keep it around. I have last year's numbers here from someone independently trying to like scrape the numbers off the site, which is kind of hilarious of how some people have to go and try to find these numbers or try to get an advantage on something like head to head betting per round, DraftKings showdown per round. But who are the players in approach that maybe would surprise us that would be up there who have performed well at Augusta? Well, so this is a name uh, he wouldn't necessarily surprise you in terms of being really great with approach play, but I feel like no one is talking about Colin Morikawa and he's two for eight in his major championship career. Nobody's <laughs> done that since Bobby Jones. So, and if you want to talk about great approach players, nobody has a higher stroke chain approach per round average since turning pro than Morikawa does. 
Um, if you look at the list of guys who've got the best strokes gain approach numbers at the Masters since 2015, I mentioned Speed. He's the only guy to gain a stroke or more per round in that span. Another forgotten guy who had three top three finishes in major championships last year, led after six different rounds. Louis Oosthuizen ranked second in that statistic since 2015. And then Connors is third, Hideki Matsuyama fourth. Another guy who's had a lot of success at the Masters in terms of contending, having good finishes, making a lot of birdies. Paul Casey ranks fifth on that list. And then Webb Simpson, who really isn't the same player right now as he was the previous few years. So I think Casey's a little bit surprising to see on that list. I think some players, uh, if you're a savvy daily fantasy person or, or a particular NBC analyst, you may not realize that Corey Connors is a really good approach player. So that might surprise you. Uh, but no, those are the guys who lead at, uh, at Augusta National and Strokes Gate Approach since we've got these numbers since about 2015. Well, it's okay for Corey Connors because if that uh, that ball striking comes back to earth a little bit, he's the best putter on the planet. So you know he can always make That's up for that. Right? Yeah. Talk to his caddy. He's <laughs> That's the best. That's what I hear. I, uh, that, I can't find those numbers anywhere, but conversationally, I hear that all the time. Yeah, just it, it keeps it, put it out into the ether long enough. It's like tell yourself this your mantra every single day. I'm the best putter. I'm the best putter. Then other people will start saying it, and maybe if you believe it, it can happen. I just, the the great, what if Connors just all of a sudden has a good, like just the pendulum flips on him and he has that one outlier week where he does putt well. Could he win? Absolutely. His ball striking numbers are absolutely good enough to put him in a position to be a major champion. I tend to like him a little bit more at the U.S. Open than at the Masters, uh, but I could definitely see on a golf course where we talked about the significance of approach play. It's significant everywhere. Um, but that's his calling card, right? He's an excellent ball striker. If he basically is neutral or a little bit positive in putting, he should be a contender. The last thing that I want to wrap about you with here are the injuries that we're seeing coming into play right now. we got a bunch of injured golfers. Like, obviously, Phil's not playing. He's not really injured, though. His, his ego is injured at the moment. His reputation, reputation is injured. injured. Yeah. <laughs> but Harris English is probably not going to play. So, obviously, we have Tiger. No word yet when we're recording this, whether he's playing or not. Webb hasn't looked like Webb since he returned. Who knows what's going on with Hideki? He's playing Valero. No idea how that outcome is going. Bryson is still dealing with some sort of injury but at least he's back and playing at the moment then all of a sudden abraham answer says he's injured before the valero texas open the night before withdraws from the event all these guys are in the field for the masters what do you do with them does it create good value if they're not injured or they just complete fades because the other guys aren't injured and these guys could be a couple of those names are fades for me in the first place whether they're healthy or not bryson uh, his ball striking numbers at the Masters aren't bad. He's in the top five in strokes gain off the tee, top 10 in strokes gain ball striking since he made his debut. But he's the third worst putter of anybody qualified since 2016 in terms of strokes gain at the Masters. Um, I think, you know, it was kind of the predecessor, right? You can't use the yardage books at Augusta National. They don't exist. And now you can't use them on the greens on the PGA Tour. So it was a little bit of a glimpse of what we've seen, some of his putting struggles. Um, I would have faded him whether he was healthy or not at the Masters. I like him at some of the other places, obviously the U.S. Open, where he was so dominant in Wingfoot a couple years ago. If he got a similar type setup there, um, I could see him again. But I don't like him at the Masters anyway. Um, Matsuyama is really – it's really a tough story because he was such a feel-good, great winner last year, and it was just such a – you know, the beautiful moment with his caddy uh, bowing to the course, which was surreal and really cool. And, and he's a guy who's easy to root for, right? And we just don't know about his back injury. It doesn't look promising, um, especially with the form he had earlier in the season, winning Zozo and then winning in Hawaii. Um, he would have been somebody who, 
you know, we definitely would have had our eye on as maybe the fourth guy to go back to back, but I would fade him now in terms of what we've seen the last couple of months. I kind of think about, you know, Brooks Kepka going into the masters last year, right. When he was, he had that crazy Spider-Man crouching putting thing where because he couldn't really bend his knee. And, you know, for me, he was a fade then, even given how successful he's been in the major championships over the last few years. I think there's just enough big, solid, valuable names for you to pick from who are healthy that I think you can kind of fade a lot of those guys who um, are kind of questionable on the health front. Can you uh, inform us some of those other names at the bottom of the Masters putting list? Because I, I would like to know that. Because it's weird to hear Bryson, because Bryson typically is one of the best putters on the PGA Tour by the numbers. Yeah, uh, the other two names uh, in, that are actually behind him were Sandy Lyle and Jose Maria Othabel. So past <laughs> champions in a ceremonial setting. Um, it's, it, it, you know, um, I think Brandon Grace has putted particularly poorly uh, in his last couple of Masters appearances. But in terms of guys who are, you know, top of the board, top of the world rankings, real contenders going into major championships, nobody's been worse than Bryson putting on Augustus Green since 2016. Well, fade Jose Maria Othabel. <laughs> All right, I'm going to write that one down. That's a good one. So it's probably best to end with a name that you just kind of mentioned, Brooks Kepka, whose ball striking has returned. Uh, all of a sudden at the Valspar, he's over six in terms of ball striking between driving and approach. It was very similar at the Honda Classic. It was very similar at uh, with the waste management. Not so much at the players, but he got that bad wave, and he was not very good at the Genesis overall, very good at the match play. Is he doing enough right now that he's just trying to peak at the right time. And when you go back and look at his master's history, throw out last year when the dude legit couldn't bend over to take the ball out of the hole, had never missed a cut at the masters before, had a second place finish, a string of really good performances. Or, or should we just blindly tail this? Well, his odds are double what they probably should be. Yeah. I'm with you in terms of throwing out last year's results. I think we have enough of a track record over the last six years of Brooks Kepka and major championships to be really bullish on him going into Augusta national. 90, the, my favorite stat that keeps just refreshing and getting more ridiculous. He's 92 under par in the majors since 2016. Second place is DJ at 28 under. Like just the, the level he has separated himself in terms of peaking for the major championships, performing on these big events, loving really difficult golf courses. He's gained more than 2.6 strokes per round against the field in majors since 2016. Only two other players are even at two strokes per round. That's a huge difference. Um, I, I'm with you in terms of throw out last year, the way he had played at the Masters the previous couple of times he'd gone out there. Uh, I think he was tied for second when Tiger won in 2019. Um, I'm really bullish on Brooks Kepka, but based on the way he's played the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, and of course what he's done in the Majors in the last few years. Can I interest you in any 66 to 1 on Adam Scott, a wager I have already made? That's very interesting, especially the way that he had been playing. He looked like a buzzsaw in the match play uh, for a few days. He's got some great, obviously, what he's done on the golf course in the past. Um, 66 to 1 is a nice number. I hadn't really thought too much about it, but, uh, yeah, I'd definitely get in on that. It just, it's the reinvention of his putting, something I'll dig in deeper when I, we start going through his player card a little bit later on. But I don't understand how someone could have been so bad on the greens for years. Then all of a sudden, he's like a top 15 guy in the world over the past 18 months. I don't. Can you make that make sense for me? I cannot. Um, I, it's look, these guys are incredibly talented and can make changes. Uh, they'll find something to, to flip the switch and become a lead in a certain skill set. Uh, but in terms of, you know, a guy who really struggled, especially in key moments with his putter for so many years, um, it's kind of been refreshing to see kind of a, a rebirth in that facet of his game. 
Well, I'm looking forward to being on the 72nd hole and watching him three putt from five feet in order to lose me <laughs> that ticket. And it all just comes back all at the wrong time. Actually, let's end with this weather. Obviously, Augusta is one of the, like, all courses that can you know, play differently with detrimental weather or very good conditions. But would you completely reinvent your approach to what happens on Wednesday if you knew that it was going to be 25-mile-per-hour winds, it was going to be a little bit colder, versus having that idyllic, prototypical Augusta that we're waiting for? Because the last time we really got it bad, we've seen, like, rounds where it was bad, but 2016, the year that Willett won. 2009, the year that Zach Johnson won. Minus five, plus one. Like, that can happen at Augusta National. It's not likely to happen, but would you just do a full stop? Hey, like, these are the guys I'm now taking. That's an interesting question. Um, I think that the weather, obviously, at Augusta National can play a significant factor for some guys. I might... If I looked at my roster and saw a couple of players who are really high apex players, players who fly the ball really high, um, like let's say Justin Thomas hits a really high ball, maybe that would deter me a little bit. But you kind of look at the guys who had success in 2016. You know, Jordan Spieth should have won. You know, Lee Westwood was up there towards the top. Uh, Danny Willett was one of the best ball strikers in the world at that point. So. Um, I don't think I'd be completely throwing out the window, but if you're looking at Wednesday night and you see some crazy weather, maybe take a look at the PGA Tour leaderboard in terms of apex height, in terms of their tee shots, and that might be something you consider. If you've got somebody really high on that list, the wind may be impacting them a little bit more than some of the guys who are lower ball flight players. Yeah, I think it would take away, like, I, I don't really have much interest in someone like Kevin Kisner this week in really good conditions, but if I knew it was going to be wet, cold, and really windy, it's like, all right, then I can make a case for Kevin Kisner, I think, dude, as being that Zach Johnson mold type player where I just, if people are going to, if the winning score is going to be minus 16, like, I have no interest in Kisner. Right, yeah, the more variables that are in play, the better for a player like Kisner. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Justin Ray, what do you got going on this week for, you know, probably the biggest week of the year for all of us who cover golf? Where can we find you and what's the most important bit of information we should be getting from you now? Um, yeah, no, I'll be writing for the athletic all week. Um, you can find our work uh, after every round as well as a big pre-tournament preview. It's going to go up on Wednesday at theathletic.com. Uh, I also write every week for the PGA Tour. Um, you can find that article every Tuesday, pgatour.com. No exception next week. Um, it'll be up, uh, talking masters uh, on that website as well. Uh, biggest piece of information for me going into it. If you're at Augusta national, I would say pimento cheese, a little overrated. Number one item on the board for me is the peach ice cream sandwich. So I'm going non-analytical with my information to know if you're at Augusta national, my number one item there, peach ice cream sandwich. All right, Justin Ray, follow him on Twitter, of course, as most of you do already, and check out all of his work. He's mentioned pjtour.com, theathletic.com, and all of his work with the 21st group as well. So thank you, Justin, for being on the line. Let's jump over, do our research, look at the numbers over at fantasynational.com right now. Did you know that browsing online using incognito mode? doesn't actually protect your privacy. That's right. Without added security, you might as well give away all your private data to hackers, advertisers, the ISP, and other prying eyes. That's why I use IPVanish VPN to make it easy to stay truly private and secure on the internets. IPVanish helps you safely browse the internet by encrypting 100% of your data. That means your private details, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be completely shielded from falling into the wrong hands. Even your physical location will be hidden. 
IP Vanish makes you virtually invisible online. It's that simple. You can use IP Vanish on unlimited devices without sacrificing on speed, your computers, tablets, phones, even your devices like Fire Stick, while you're streaming media. Whether I'm at home or in public, I don't go online anymore without using IP Vanish. IP Vanish is offering an incredible, get this, 70% off their yearly plan for our listeners with a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's like getting nine months for free. IP Vanish is super easy to use. All you got to do is tap one button and you're instantly protected. You won't even know it's on. Stop sharing with the world everything you stream, everything you search for, and everything you buy. Take your privacy back today with the brand rated 4.6 out of 5 on Trustpilot. So go to ipvanish.com slash mayo and use promotional code mayo to claim your 70% savings. That's ipvanish.com slash mayo. And once again, if you want full access to all of the tools, get yourself the discount. Use the code MAYO. So go to fantasynational.com slash MAYO in order to get that 20% off. And it has everything. It has your lineup generator, your ownership projections for all DFS, the simulator where it gets run 1,000 times or maybe even 10,000 times for the Masters. It's usually just 1,000 times. So you can see how everything is going to turn out if a computer played this the entire time. And sometimes the computer makes better picks than you. I don't really want to go too in-depth into the course because if you've made the leap to search out this show and are listening, then you're probably pretty familiar with how Augusta National plays. It's a par 72. It's just longer than 7,435 yards, but it actually plays a little bit longer than that solely because of the vast elevation changes. And I'm recording this before the conclusion of the Valero Texas Open, so as it pertains to the field, we still don't have a confirmation as of now whether or not Tiger is going to play, and if someone who wins Valero that wasn't previously into the field, they'll get added. So that will all get updated on the site as we go through, but that's something to keep in mind when we're digging through some of the players, and you have to remember that there's no penal rough on the grounds anywhere. So it does give a lean to players who have a little bit of extra distance on the field, just because... It allows you to attack the par fives, and even the longer par fours makes them far more manageable. You can see what the scorecard at Augusta looks like throughout the years. You know, hole number one, if you're Victor Hovland, you're going to make a triple bogey. You can rally back. It's just, it's going to be very tough. And we've seen number one play really difficult early in the morning over the years. It's funny with Augusta because you can never really predict what the final score is going to be. Guys can get to minus 18. They can win at plus one. It really depends on the weather coming in from that week. I personally think that we're still too far out right now in order to really make an assessment of how the weather is going to impact anything. However, that's something that we're going to pay attention to on the Wednesday live show and even in the newsletters throughout the course of the week. I'll have the updated weather in there. You can sub to that down in the description right now if you want to. We think about eagle rates at these courses. You can see that number 13, number 15, you can get yourself a get yourself an eagle stew going here. If you I mean, unless you have Jason Duffner to make the cut and he puts it into the water twice on number 15, trying to go for it, it usually turns out pretty well. You can see a 2.8 eagle rate on number 15 on the shorter par 13 or on number 13 over a 3% eagle rate. 
birdie percentage is over 30% on each of the power fives. And even number 16 uh, is actually third on that. And a lot of that has to do with the Sunday location where hole in ones get made more often, if that's where they choose to do it at the bottom of the hill on number 16. It fosters a lot of pretty short birdie opportunities, although that putt can be a bit tricky depending on which side of the hole that you're on. If you're on the bottom right side of the hole, even 20 feet away, sometimes it's a little bit better than being to the left slightly above the hole where you still have to come down that hill. We see a lot of short putts missed on that hole on Sunday. We've been watching this tournament forever. It's one of the fun things about Augusta National is how well we all know the course and where the little tricks may lie. We also see, let's see, number three, the par four. That's the one that, yeah, I mean, Technically, you could potentially drive it. It's 350 yards. Most people lay to the bottom of the huge false front at the bottom of that hill, then try to put it up. That one really depends on pin location as well in terms of birdie rate. That's almost up near 20%. So those are going to be your scoring holes. Then you have a few that are just absolutely deadly, like 7% birdie rate on number one, 7% on number four, 7% on number five. You can manage your way around the front nine, get the birdies where you need to on number two on number eight maybe you can sneak one on number three and just don't give them away anywhere because you don't see as we see right here like the highest double or worse percentage on any hole is number 11 which makes a lot of sense when you see how that hole is laid out uh, it's only five percent so you're not seeing a lot of huge numbers made at augusta national but that's a 31 percent bogey rate on that hole number 10 has a 25 percent bogey rate even when we take a look at number 12 which should theoretically be a super easy hole you know that's up around 17.2 percent uh that really short par three the one where spieth dunked it into the water over and over so the bet the path of least resistance is going to be distance and that's not to say the cameron champ is just going to win although looking at cameron champ's numbers at augusta national when we dig into him you're just gonna see that hey for whatever reason cameron champ's pretty good at Augusta over the course of his career considering he sucks everywhere else then you know a t19 that was in the fall with the Dustin Johnson Masters and you're like oh maybe it was just you know because it was in November the conditions were a little bit weird then he followed it up with a t26 last year so distance has something distance just makes some of these holes a lot easier this isn't to say that you need overwhelming distance in order to do well Tiger won Patrick Reed won Danny Willett won although the Willett year just played really difficult so then that kind of brings your elite scramblers into play this is going to test all parts of your game but think about someone like Patrick Reed who's not especially known for his driving prowess he was well above his usual driving baseline in 2018 he gained 3.35 strokes with his driver that's a lot for Patrick Reed, especially if you consider uh, 2021 Patrick Reed at this point, who can't seemingly keep the ball in play whatsoever. And we take a look at his driving stats and strokes gain metrics for the Masters are proprietary. So you need back channels in order to get your hands on them. We don't currently have them at Fantasy National and most places are just not going to have them. But if you search around long enough, you can probably find them. So this is what Patrick Reed has been doing lately. He's gained off the tee just once. That was in a miscut at the Honda Classic since last year's Rocket Mortgage Classic, which was in July against a really weak field at a really easy course. So the driving has just been awful for him. So even to go back and look at when he won, and oh man, we have to go back to 2018. We got to keep scrolling here. 
You can see he had the two nice finishes coming in. More on that in a second. And he had been gaining off the tee coming in. Now that 3.35 was the most he had gained out of all those events. But because you can hit it onto the pine straw, pine straw is not triggered as detrimental potentially depending on what your lie ends up being and the path that you have to the hole in terms of strokes gain that he was not as penalized as he normally would for having a complete lack of distance plus accuracy. He was good enough that week. Uh, and he takes a look at someone like, I don't know, Tiger. Uh, the year that he won, he gained 1.5 strokes off the tee, which is not a lot whatsoever, but he did gain over nine on approach, and that's really the number that mattered. And when you try to back the non-elite drivers, you really need to hope that the irons and putter are good all four days. You're not going to have the ability just to skate off with one of those really poor putting performances, really bad iron performances, if you can't lean on your off the tee game. So I think it's important to go look at how this is kind of factored out. We don't see the usual uh, distribution of strokes gain that we normally see from each of the course. And you can just see how they've played on the par fives. You got to take advantage of your par fives. Doing the Zach Johnson where you lay up on every single par five and still win the Masters is not going to be a light scenario unless it's 41 degrees out and it's raining the entire time and you just have to plod your way along the course that's unlikely to happen that's such an outlier and that happened so long ago now is that 2009 yeah so it's been over a decade since we saw that type of finish even in the year that Willett won which I would contend has probably been the second most difficult Masters year that was all just win related so if you were hitting your irons really strongly and you had a really good around the green game uh, that's what was really going to get you where you needed to be but still being able to find the fairway get the ball out there a bit to make those second shots easier it was absolutely huge we see the historic cut line from the course and the tournament plus one a year ago plus four plus six plus seven plus three plus three the one year in november it was changed the top 50 in ties only make the cup but that's because of the lack of daylight they had in november it was switched back to top 50 in ties and all players within 10 strokes of the lead as it is in most years and remember this is the only tournament that has something like that because you know it's it's the Masters. People think that applies at the Open Championship or the U.S. Open. It doesn't. Uh, it only applies at the Masters. So it's top 50 and ties plus anyone within 10 strokes of the lead. You can see driving accuracy much higher at the Masters than it is at your regular tour event. Uh, and that, again facilitates the longer hitters and their ability to go for because a missing the fairway isn't as penal as it would be at other courses and the fairways are just really wide you can just hammer it into a bank get some huge roll and just end up in the fairway anyway so guys are incentivized to go for it now hitting greens and regulation it's still a 61 percent clip it's not crazy but it is lower than your tour average of around 66 percent and scrambling is tough but a lot of that does have to do with putting because you can see the average three putt at the masters guys are averaging almost one three putt per round where it's around 0.55 per round amongst the field at your average tour event so that's going to go hand in hand with scrambling because part of scrambling is going to be making those nine footers those 10 footers and if you're three putting it's going to be real tough to scramble if you're not hitting all these greens in regulation right off the hop so that's something to keep in mind we can take a look at 
just overall, uh, I did this last year and each of the years because I mentioned that we're going to need players who are good off the tee. So we can just look past 50 rounds, strokes gained off the tee. Let's see who it is. Rom, Bryson, Sergio, Connors, Cantlay. Guys, outside of Bryson, really, who have played well at the Masters time over time, Cameron Young is up there. He's $7,000 on DraftKings this week, triple digits in the betting market. Fitzpatrick is a really interesting one because we've kind of liked Fitzpatrick at Augusta over the years. But at the same time, it's not uh, it's not going to be someone you would consider a bomber by any means. But he has increased his distance a lot. And where he's hitting so many fairways, it's really elevating. I mean, there was the running joke for ages that Matthew Fitzpatrick, just play him at any tournament that had the word Masters in it, and you would be fine. Now, as a former winner of the Nordia Masters, or probably like the Austrian Masters, and he won the British Masters, I think, at one point in time, maybe this one's on his list, the Masters Tournament. You can see the results haven't been great for him, outside of, again, that Will at Spieth year, he came in seventh, where back when he was a much shorter hitter, he's added about ah, like 10 to 15 yards on his driving over the past year and a half. So I think that's interesting to go look at. We see the best per round over time. We can even take the average and take a look and see if, uh, let's see, and just get the actual raw numbers here. Rahman Bryson averaging a stroke per round off the tee, which is pretty incredible. So I would say almost anyone that's kind of above that threshold, you don't want to start digging down into guys that are pretty bad. Now, Cameron Smith is a weird outlier in this circumstance because we know how well he's played at Augusta and how much better he's been. But even at the Players' Championship, guy lost like five strokes off the tee. He just did everything else well in order to end up winning. Guy made a zillion putts throughout the course of the week. He's someone with an immaculate track record at Augusta for someone who's never won. And the driving has really not got the worst of him here. So it's really his accuracy issues, not so much his distance issues. So I think trying to separate those things, too, is going to be sort of a task that's on your hand. But you don't want someone who's just absolute trash off the tee, I, I guess is the point that I'm really trying to make when it comes down to it. We can take a quick look at tournament history as well to find the players, maybe even outlier players that have done pretty well. Over time, you can see Hideki made the cut the year before. Dustin Johnson was second the year before, so obviously he made the cut. Tiger Woods made the cut the year before. Patrick Reed was like the only guy who had missed a cut. Patrick Reed blew up a lot of this. And even in terms of trends, it is kind of odd because Hideki blew up a lot of these spots last year coming in. Because coming into last year... uh, Each of the winners had at least two top 15 finishes in their three tournaments before going into the Masters. Uh, I think I would probably lean back more towards that. And if you just hit up the recent history tab at the top, you can kind of see the different types of players who would do well there. Obviously, Scheffler won the match play. The match play is tough to import into systems because there's no strokes gain data or anything like that. So obviously, Scheffler fits because he had a first 55th and a first. Uh, Rom would be outside of that category. Dustin Johnson would not. He would actually set up pretty well. That would kick Thomas out of that category. It would kick Morikawa out. Poor Morikawa. Hovland would technically be out because he had the nice run, but then it kind of stopped going in. Guys have been far more inconsistent. Shane Lowry would be on that metric right now because he would have had those two before the match play. He's been playing really good golf. Just funny how a lot of these Florida tournaments, in terms of lead-in form over the years, have really predicted uh, in terms of just recent form hot play coming in, who would end up doing really well at the Masters. There's just frankly very few people who fit this build (laughs) this year. Kisner would be one uh, because he ended up coming second at the match play. 
Uh, I guess Homa would just miss it by two placement points at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And obviously the Valero numbers aren't in here either. So that's also something you can kind of go back in time to look at. Fitz didn't get out of his group stage, but he had two top tens and a miscut at the players coming into this event. Henley would actually qualify for that number. See, Hatton, I guess he would have been 16th. Actually, T9, no, Hatton would qualify because he got out of his group at the match play. Burns Burns would qualify for that. Gooch would not because he didn't get out of his grouping. Richard Bland ended up doing that. Berger would actually qualify for this as well, despite the fact that when you go back and look at his master's history, it has not been a pretty scene for old Daniel Hauser Berger in the course of his career. I think he was low debutante in that Willet year in 2016. He's just been mediocre. Overall, you can see he didn't play it in 2019, not in 2020, and he did not get into the field. Did he get into the field last year? Yes, he missed in the November Masters uh, based on because they had locked everything in March that year. So you couldn't play your way in. But by the time that the Masters came around, Berger was playing much better golf than he had over the previous 18 months because he had even he had won at Colonial and the first event coming out of the COVID hiatus when he beat Xander and Morikawa in that playoff at the Charles Schwab challenge so you can see just like he's got decreasingly worse in every start that he's had at Augusta National I'm not going to hold that really much against him but it is worth really kind of emphasizing that Augusta National year over year is the course that has the most course history baked into it there is something with knowing to play off that slope with this pin location just that baked in knowledge that local knowledge of augusta national where this is such a unique course and so many different undulations just knowing those green types it really does mean a ton is you can see just the players who play well constantly play well and it's not always the ones that you would imagine looking at the most strokes gained total over the past five years rom dustin hideki spieth and justin rose is still up there even last year when rose was kind of trash still came seventh he's only missed one cut over the past four years thomas continues to play really well uh, although he only has that one top 10 finish which is a little bit scary coming in rory is kind of all over the map he has the three top seven finishes at t21 and he actually missed the cut last year which is shocking to think about reed ended up inside the top 10 so even though he wasn't playing i mean he's playing much poorly now than he was 12 months ago either way he had cobbled up two top 10 finishes in the course of four months at the masters it's worth noting being a former champion as well you can see cam smith has been excellent at the masters over the course of his career had a lot of money on him when he lost to dustin johnson but no one was beating dustin johnson that year that was just scary times yeah finau finau has played really well he has the three top 10s in four years it's really difficult to gauge where his game is at he had one really good matchup at the match play we'll see how he does at valero webb simpson another one five four consecutive top 20 finishes brooks i'm not gonna hold what happened to brooks against him last year the guy was so hurt he could barely bend down to pick up his putts he tried to gut it out other than that in his three previous appearances he does have three top 11 finishes he ended up coming second to tiger the year that tiger won leishman another good player hell xander xander i've seen him down as low as 28 to 1 in some spots and it's not like he played like horrendous he lost to Fino in that matchup that I was talking about at the match play. It's not even like Xander played all that poorly. And overall, his game has been like good. He missed the cut at the players, never really plays all that well at the players' championship, whatever. 12th at the Valspar, 
did it with his ball striking. That's what we want to see. Phoenix did it with the ball striking and chipping. Ended up coming third to Scheffler and Cantlay. So this season, although he has never really been in contention all that often, he was in Phoenix. He very much was in contention that week. But that was really it for him. You can see the ball striking has been really good three of the past four tournaments. And the players, you can almost throw out the strokes gain numbers from that event every single year because two or three wayward shots and it makes it look even worse than it's going to be. I think he went double water on 17 because he caught got caught in a windstorm. What are you going to do? Uh, he, everyone from that wave struggled mightily at the same time. So I think that the perception of Xander has begun to change because for a while there's there's two contingents on Xander overall where it's some people think that he's the absolute greatest thing and that he's going to win five majors at some point then you have the polar opposite because you know it's 2022 and you need to have only polarizing opinions on everything where Xander sucks he's a fraud he's not he's not either of those things he's a above average highly skilled top 20 player in the world could he win the masters yes most definitely he can win the Masters. But the perception is kind of shot back. And you notice this in the betting market a lot, where despite the fact that he wasn't winning, hadn't really won in all that long, he'd be 16 to 1, 18 to 1. Well, that's not the case anymore. Guys have passed him. Scheffler, obviously, now the number one player in the world, he has passed him in the public's perception. Patrick Cantley has passed him in the public perception. Vic Morikawa, plus all the regular guys that you would want to see at the very top. All these guys that came in as a part of the Xander generation of players have passed him in terms of notoriety and what we perceive their odds to be to win tournaments. So now it's dropped him back a level. The same things happened to Finau over time. For years, he was just wildly overvalued in the betting market. And some may say 28 to 1 on Xander Shoffley is still overvalued in the betting market. And they're probably right. But once we start getting to the 35s, the 40s, that's not so bad anymore. Hell, Zalatoris might have better odds to win the Masters than Xander Shoffley by the time we actually get to the event. I love Zalatoris this week, by the way. Runner-up last year, putted the lights out at Augusta National, which is not something you would actually think that Zalatoris would do. But here we are. Russell Henley has two top 15 finishes, the first time that he's been playing since 2018. And again, he fits those trends. His odds are like ridiculous this week. They're like 35 to 1 or something crazy like that. Connors has made the cut in every appearance he's made. You know, Louis, he has the runner-up finish, but even in the past five years, never really in contention. But at the same time, he's continued to make cuts year over year over year. Xander and Leishman, we talked about. Try to find some guys who really haven't been all that good. You have your debutantes in the field right now, uh, or maybe or guys who haven't played it in a long time. Technically, Luke List isn't a debutant at Augusta National, but he uh, hasn't played since 2005, I think it was, because of the U.S. Amateur. So, like as like a pro, it's the first time we're seeing Luke List uh, at Augusta National. So these are guys that haven't played over the course of the past five years. You see, EVR is on that list, but he withdrew from the November Masters when he had played in it. Sergio hasn't made a cut since he won in 2017. But the overall debutants, you got Gooch, Sam Burns, Seamus Power, Luke List, Cameron Young, Tom Hoagie, Harold Varner III, Seb Straka, Min Woo! Lee, Cameron Davis, Lucas Herbert, Katiti Nakajima, Ari Eggs, Garrick Higo. My guy, I'm not getting talked off my guy, Garrick Higo. You want to target lefties here, and he's been playing like crap, but I don't care. I'm going with it. KH Lee. Harrington's obviously not a debutant, but he has not qualified in any of the past five years. He and Higgs both got in with their result at the PGA Championship last year at the Ocean Course. Guido is in because of the U.S. Open. Someone named Laird Sheppeld. What a name. Austin Greaser. Oh, here we go. I like that. Aaron Jarvis, James 
Piat. So they're all the amateurs, uh, first-time amateurs that are going to be in the field. Then you see some other players. Bizadenhout has made it twice. South Africans have had such a nice run at this tournament. Will, it's been bad since he won four missed cuts in a T25. Really difficult to go with him. Matthew Wolf was DQ'd last year. You don't want anything to do with Matthew Wolf. Kisner was a part of a millionaire maker winning lineup at one point in time, and he's going to be pretty popular based on his price point coming in and his performance at the match play. 6800 bucks. They'll talk about how, you know, Kevin Kisner, he's going to know Augusta really well, and he does know it really well, but when we talk about the types of players that do really well, you almost need to have bad circumstances for Kisner to end up at the top of the leaderboard. That's just the everything to go along with it. Like, he's missed the cut the last two years. T21, T28, T43. He would have to have the best ball striking week of his career combined with immaculate putting in order to get this done. And that's just such a big ask out of someone like Kevin Kisner because he's just not that good off the tee. If it, like The next week at the Heritage, he's going to be fine. At Augusta National, it's going to be a bit trickier. For him, Hatton has been a mixed bag, but he's playing some better golf recently, and he is one of those people that fits that form narrative I mentioned coming in. Um, But again, no real great finishes here. And I will stress this every single year just because, oh, Fred Couples might make the cut. And he might. Listen, Jose Maria Alafable made the cut last year. Billy Horschel. Oh, my. Billy Horschel's been bad at Augusta (laughs) over the course of his career. But. All these old guys that are in the field. So you got Couples, Weir, VJ, Sandy, Lyle, Larry Mize, Jose Marie, Alathalbel. Uh, we're not getting Woosnam for the first time in 45 years or something crazy like that. However, these guys, even if they make the cut, they don't finish well. He had that one Langer year in 2016 where he was pretty good. He's made the cut three of the past five years. I mean, he's basically outperformed Zach Johnson over that time. The hell, throw Zach Johnson into the old guy mix at this point. But they're not even necessarily like the lowest priced guys in the field. Like 61, because you can save so much money by using one of these guys. And it's like, oh, what if VJ makes the cut? Then you know, my other five guys are going to be great. No, you're not winning shit with VJ Singh in your lineup. Even if he comes four. 49th out of 56 players. That's not going to help you win GPPs. It's just not. Just avoid the trap of trying to use these guys. Just do that and you're going to be fine. Maybe when you had the Fred Couples, and granted, this is from five years ago with Fred Couples. He came T 18th. But even that year, it was just a lot of pars. He wasn't making birdies out there. We're talking about DraftKings scoring for a lot of this. Obviously, you're not betting these guys to win outright. And you most definitely don't want to bet them top 20 because it would have hit once out of, what is it, 30 times looking at it over the past five years you're not getting positive ev on that bet but when we're talking about birdies and eagles and trying to score DraftKings points i mean where did he even come in 2017 you can always just go and look at that mind you in terms of DraftKings points we can go to DraftKings scoring and figure out where he actually came and uh, let's see here where's old freddie cups fred couples scored 63 points 63.5 points so that's Mm, geez, where's that going to be? That is below guys. There's Fred Couple. So we tie with Matthew Fitzpatrick, who came in 32nd. Uh, Jason Day finished behind him, scored more points. Phil scored, came behind him, scored more points, scored significantly more points at that at the same time. Hoffman scored more points by coming T22. So Martin Keimer was 16th and scored 15 more points. That's separated by two spots on the leaderboard. Uh, some of that had to do with Keimer ended up making a bunch of eagles at the same time. But that stuff, those bonus points are just out of play 
for Fred Couples uh, versus a lot of the other players around him. So realistically, he came T18th, which you would think is a very good finish, but his DraftKings points ended up in the same range as guys who came 33rd or 28th or 43rd like Bernd Wiesberger, 22nd like Justin Thomas. Like, he massively underperformed his DraftKings scoring to his actual placement points, and that's just not something that we really want to do. Now, is it? Let's talk about the modeling and the stats just a little bit. It's really tough, to be perfectly honest with you, to get a good grasp on how the Masters is going to rate out. Because, you know, pro- more than likely one of the top 25 players in the world is going to win at the Masters. So you can start making some cross-offs when it comes down to things like that. I talked about the form guide of everything coming in. You can look at their recent form. You can look at their past form, making cuts, that kind of thing. And listen, there's real stuff here. The last nine Green Jacket winners boast a name first and last that are no actually I guess Hideki may have uh, blown this out of the water last year yeah Hideki Matsuyama became the first winner since Charles Schwartzel with more than 13 combined letters in their first or last name so that's pretty good and six of the past 10 champions have had a name of 11 or 12 letters in their name so I mean that's most definitely something you can think about I'm kidding of course but with all this stuff uh, but those are like some of the stupid trends that you're going to see all week and I'm not going to be immune to putting out some of them because I think they're fun to look at they they make for a fun read a fun digging in in terms of research and I'll have tons of research inside the newsletter articles every single day of the tournament and looking at it right now I have off the tee weighted at 20% approach weighted at 30%. Par 5s, 5%. And I also have Eagles gained at 5% at the very bottom too. So that kind of goes hand in hand with the par 5s. That also brings approach into play and putting into play too. We can look at par 4s. That's at 10%. Driving distance, 10%. Par 4s, 450 to 500 yards. The most difficult holes on the course, 5%. Proximity, 175 to 200. And strokes gain, short game at 10%, which is a combination of around the green and putting. We'll load that in. Pass 50 and let it tell us that John Rahm is not only the best player in the world, but he should be the favorite to win this. That's my guess. I have not ran this as of right now, but we're going to go find out if it is old Johnny Rahm at the top. Of course it is. Rahm, Thomas, Rory, Cantlay, Big Dick, Vic, Hovland. Luke List, number six. Ooh, that's what happens when you don't wait putting too much. Scheffler, uh, although the match play win isn't technically included in this because it has no strokes gained data from it, it does have two of his wins. He's number seven, Morikawa, Xander, and Dustin Johnson. Totally spaced on how Morikawa finished last year. I always thought this would not be a great course for Morikawa, but the way that he's rolled it on bent grass greens over time, you really worry about the chipping with Morikawa. I actually vastly improved last year. came T18. And you can see the numbers for him are kind of all over the map. Was not great at the players, but at the Century, the Genesis, and Valspar. And hell, he made it out of the group stage at match play. He hadn't lost a hole. He was not trailing in any of his three matches in the group stage. And then got absolutely pounded by Abraham Answer in the next round. I mean, you have one bad round. It's going to happen. Or the other guy. I mean, Answer was making like 25-foot putts all over the place. And Morikawa was missing five-footers. That would be the issue, but Zalatoris just came in second here, too. I'm not going to downgrade Morikawa at all, just because I see the numbers that I want to see from him. The the irons have not been spiking to the extent that they normally would be, that you would hope, because usually he's up around, like, 8. But, I mean, we talked about Tiger. He gained 1.5 off the tee, just over 9 in approach, and putted okay that week. It wasn't amazing. Tiger Woods on the greens. Very good lag putting that week. That's a really important thing that stats can't really quantify, I find at least, is who are the good lag putters on the PGA Tour. Like, Will Zalatoris is a good lag putter. Bubba Watson is a really good lag putter. Tiger Woods is an 
immaculate lag putters. Some guys just aren't. Then they leave themselves nine feet on the next putt and they miss it. Those guys don't. They leave themselves inside that five-foot window and then they make their putts. I mean, not so much Will Zalatoris because he loves missing five-footers. But these fast bent grass greens, these pure bent grass greens, pretty good. Uh, So... Who are the worst players outside of like, uh, let's see, the worst. Patrick Reed is 86 in this field. He actually trails Larry Mize, who I think only sats come from the mat. I wonder how far back Larry Mize's 50 rounds actually go to. Let's see, 2003, the Buick Invitational for Larry Mize is how far his numbers go back. Kisner, 80th in this field overall. Zach Johnson, very low. And all these guys are going to be like viable options at the Open Championship at St. Andrews later on this year. But not so much at this course with these conditions. Molinari has been bad. Willett's been bad. Bobby Mack, I am playing Bobby Mack. Let's throw him on the list. I just, again, he came 12th here last year. He's played really well in major championships over the course of his young career. Big hitting lefty at the Masters. Sign me up for that. Siwoo, he's going on the list. Siwoo actually has a really good track record at the Masters. We know that he broke his putter. Uh, I believe that was a last year, so that didn't really turn out too well for him. But as you can see, 12th, 34th, 21st, 24th. So each of the past four years, he's been good. $7,100 on DraftKings, and you know, it might just come out of nowhere, and he finds that hot flat stick. So other guys like Higo and Glover, and even Nas down there. Nas had some pretty good run at the Masters over the years, so I think he can be taken on a different case, and he played pretty well at the match play to grind it out a lot. But that's what he's going to do. He's going to get it up and down. He's going to make his putts. Fourth and strokes gain, short game. Overall, I think that's something really to look at. You see Tiger, K.H. Lee. So these guys are kind of in the middle. Thomas Peters is someone that I'll likely be targeting as well. Uh, he, and, I mean, he doesn't have a long Masters track record, but he wasn't a millionaire maker winning a lineup at one point in time. He came fourth, and he's missed a cut in his career. So that actually, that 2017 year was the year that Mike Leone came second at the Millionaire Maker, won himself a cool 150K. Shout out to our guy. Two hats, one Mike. And then you have almost anyone from like this range down. These 40 down are probably where you want to look. You could probably extend it to 45. I doubt Harris English is going to end up playing. He might try to gut it out, but he's been off for so long now with this injury. I would not expect him to come back in. So overall, over that time, we mentioned the guys that went through. Let's go past 24 rounds to see if that tells us a little bit of a different story on some of the other players. It was funny not to see Henley inside the top 10 of a stat model for the first time in ages. Let's see if that changes when I sort this time around. No, still no Russell Henley. Where? I guess it's the specific stats that I'm looking at. He only rates out 17th, and he's fifth in par fives, third in approach, first in eagles. Uh, but he's just not great off the tee, and that's going to come back to bite him here. That's why you see he has those good finishes, but no great finishes at Augusta National. I do think that it was either him or Webb Simpson. They just started like chipping in from the middle of the fairway in the final round in one of those years as well. I think Webb, it was Webb or Henley became the first player to make back-to-back eagles at number eight and number nine in Masters history. It was either seven or eight or eight and nine. I think it was eight and nine because they just kept chipping in from everywhere. And like, not from like just off the green side, like the middle of the fairway from 130 yards away. So obviously we know he's good with his iron. So that works out well. So in updated past 24 rounds, Thomas List, Rom, Scheffler, Hovland. List is really interesting because he's obviously played this course a bunch, just not in competitive settings. But a short game, one of the better around the green players on tour right now. One of the worst putters in the history of golf. Can he figure out these greens? It hasn't been a problem with Connors at all. 
So, and even Connor's putting. So something with these super fast greens, maybe that's what we can look at here and see if we can really search that out. Super fast greens over time, even bent grass, super fast greens. Let's just go fast, fast and lightning in terms of strokes game putting and see if we can find any information off that because these are most likely going to play with lightning style greens. See, lightning, lightning, lightning. And then we don't have any more information because... Augusta hates doing it. Frankly, we should probably just use lightning, not even fast, because these are going to be so much faster than you're ex- than anyone would really be expecting. So we'll just look at lightning greens. And maybe you can put in fast if you want to as well. So these are your best putters of the past 50 rounds on lightning greens. There's Kisner for you. There's Xander Shoffley. So Zach Johnson, Mackenzie Hughes, Kevin Kisner, Xander Shoffley, Jason Kokrak, the Gucci man. Bryson and Fitz, Bezadenhout. See a lot of South Africans uh, kind of populating this part of the list. Uh, Louis Oosthuizen, Cam Smith. Um, let's see, Fred Couples is on this list still. Uh, Patrick Reed, Billy Horschel, Seamus Power. If we extend that or shrink that size down to the past 24 rounds, uh, obviously this isn't counting the Masters because we don't have the strokes gained data from that. Cam Smith, Dustin Johnson, Zach Johnson, Xander Fitzpatrick. Now, you have two Masters winners in there, two guys who have come second in one of the past two years, and a guy who has not missed a cut in ages. Louis, another guy who's come in second. Rose, another guy who's come in second. Webb, with those top 20 finishes across the board. So in these shorter samples, maybe Mac Hughes will show up. Maybe Kokrak or Lucas Herbert will end up there as well. But you still have Sungjae, Hatton, Bryson, Bezadenhout, Adam Scott, I've already bet on Adam Scott to win the Masters at 66 to 1. You better believe I'll be playing him at $8,300. And for all the talk of what a crap putter Adam Scott is, he has figured that out for whatever reason. You can see over his past five tournaments, averaging 2.8 strokes per over the past 10, 1.8 over the past 20, 2.2. It's a lot of green in the putting column for old Adam Scott. Those irons are looking good. Uh, inconsistent, but still looking pretty good overall. The putting is looking good. The chipping, it can be here or there, but he has a ton of experience. Obviously, he has won at Augusta before. And the driving, if we can get one of these weeks out of him, it's the plus 2.7, the plus 2.6, or even what we saw at the match play when he made a little bit of a run. Not the minus 1.5 and the minus 3. He is definitely live to win this tournament just based on how much better his putter has been over the course of, geez, the past 18 months or so. Like, it's a diametric flip from what he was starting basically like right here in 2018. He was like the worst putter on tour. You can see all that red on the screen. And then just all of a sudden, it's a lot of green screens for old Adam Scott. And like lofty amounts of putting 4.1 5.7 6.5 7.2 so let's not overlook old adam scott when it comes down to this so i think that gives us a pretty good idea of what we want to look at in terms of the types of players top 25 players we want to go with the the particular types of skill sets maybe some cross-off type of players we can look at too so on par fours jt is going to be up there long par fours you got cam young cam young's going to be a popular sleeper we'll see let ownership really guide that out when we talk about it with Tambo and Raza, and then we re-up with it next Wednesday when we break down the final ownership percentages on DraftKings. I think that can help out a little bit more when we try to decipher ownership. I would expect Cam Young to be popular at $7,000. I think it really has to do with who are the other guys in that range who are going to soak up a lot of ownership, and I think Kisner is most definitely going to be a very popular play, $6,800. I can see Harmon being a popular play at the same time. List, I mean, It'll depend on how he finishes at Valero, but if he comes like top five at Valero, he's going to be like 25% owned. And then all of a sudden, Cameron Young is like 7% owned. Oh my God, Siwoo's right there. 4% Siwoo, 7,100. Woo! I love it. 
let's go get that. And Bobby Mack. So yeah, I might, listen, I love Luke List, but I would have no problem fading him for those other three guys directly around him. Uh, even, I mean, I don't love Woodland, but we'll see how he ends up doing. But Woodland's another one. If he has a really good Valero at $6,900, he's going to be super popular in everyone's DraftKings lineups. And that's not to say that they're not going to play well just because they're popular. But if we're trying to navigate a field to win a million dollars on DraftKings, you can play in the Pat Mayo experience one that you're not playing against 800,000 people. You're only playing against like 5,500 people and there's no rake and it's only $15 to play, $5,000 to first place. Hit the description of this video or pod and you are going to be good to go on that but that's just how the ownership is just going to end up shaking itself and i wonder if anyone actually i'm recording this so early let's just uh click on a few names here just so we can get up to our six minimum that we need to go look at ownership percentages and see if anyone's generated a lineup so far i guess there's been almost 800 generated lineups to this point very few people are using scheffler i'll break down the ownership more on the shows coming up thomas very popular rom very popular cam smith popular xander popular brooks zalatoris Shane Lowry, Scott and Neiman, both huge percentages, as is Henley, Connors, Leishman. What else do we got here? Homa and McIntyre, both with a ton of ownership. There's Herman, like I talked about. Kisner's, no one is playing Kisner from Fantasy National, but I guarantee you that's not going to be the case when it comes to the general overall public. Uh, Luke List, only 8% right now. Cam Young, only 7.5%. Westwood, Molinari, 1% and 2%. Any other higher-end guys down here? That No, no one's really going that much below. Thomas Peters at 11%, but as you can see, the lineup's generated versus the actual calculated ownership at this point is still going to be incredibly low because... I mean, A, the general population doesn't know who Thomas Peters is, but he's $6,600. He won in Europe earlier this year. Like, that's not going to move the needle for a lot of players. So we're going to have more as the week goes along. But if you want to subscribe to Fantasy National, become a member, utilize all of these tools, which I just kind of flash in front of your face, do your own research, generate your own lineups, use the simulator, put on any customizations that you want, fantasynational.com slash mayo will get you 20% off. And that'll do it. On the Pat Mayo Experience 2022 Masters Research. Once again, fantasynational.com slash mayo to get yourself 20% off. Play in the giant Masters, or sorry, major season, one and done over at fantasygolfchampionships.com. $100 to play, $10,000 to first place. You can find all of this information down in the description. Play in the Listener's League. Rate and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave your Twitter handle and email address to get both into the draw for free giveaways, free entries into the one and done, and all that handsome Masters gear I showed you at the beginning of the show. So the description is where you can find most all the information and sub to the newsletter, again, in the description every single day starting Sunday. Masters Research updates all the news, all the weather, all the ownership will be there for you, completely free, sent directly to you, and like close-ups and sizes of all the Masters gear as well. So thank you all for watching. Smash the like on the way out, and I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!